0: So, why do we care about Abraham? As Christians, we know that we should care about Abraham. In the Old Testament, for example, God is frequently referred to as the God of Abraham. So, knowing Abraham seems important for knowing God. And in the New Testament, Paul says in Galatians 3 that if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to the promise. Even in the first verse of Matthew's gospel, Jesus is identified as the son of David, the son of Abraham. But it can be hard for us to appreciate what it is about Abraham that we should care about, since he seems to be quite a distant figure. We aren't circumcised like Abraham, now the new covenant has come, And Abraham was around so long ago that our situation can feel incomparable. After all, he was around before the nation of Israel even existed. The story we probably remember most about Abraham is that time he nearly sacrificed his son, Isaac. And with the author to the Hebrews, while we're sure that displayed his faith in God, it doesn't feel like something that we should replicate For these, among other reasons, Abraham can sometimes feel like the source of challenging questions rather than the father of all who believe, as Paul calls him in Romans 4. You know, just how important is Abraham now that we have Jesus? Well, given we are jumping straight into the middle of Genesis, some background on the context Abraham arrives in will be useful. After the fall with sin entering the world and the flood in which God judged the sin of the world, sin nevertheless still clings on. In Genesis 11, all of humanity attempted to make a name for themselves by building a tower with its top in the heavens, a city called Babel, the forerunner of Babylon. But that plan was frustrated by God when he confused their languages and scattered them across the face of the earth. So, having seen humanity try to make a name for themselves and fail, now in Genesis 12, we get to see what happens when God promises to make a name for someone. And this someone is the son of Terah, Abraham. So this will be how God moves his plan forward through Abraham and his descendants. And as we look at the promises given to Abraham, we can look back to see where they came from and look forward to see how they are fulfilled. And as we do that, we will get to see at least one reason why Abraham is such a central figure in the biblical narrative and why understanding Abraham is crucial to understanding Jesus. So where do the promises come from? Well, focusing in on our passage tonight, Genesis 12, there are three promises that the Lord makes to Abram in the first three verses. The first promise is about a land. Abram is to leave everything, your country, your kindred, and your father's house, and go to the land that God will show him. Abram's response is to trust God and leave. And it doesn't take long for God to show Abram the land for the first time. As in verses five to seven, we find out this land is the land of Canaan. And although it's currently occupied by the Canaanites, the Lord promises that Abram's offspring will receive it. The second promise concerns people. The Lord is going to make of Abram a great nation Even though we already know from the end of Genesis 11 that Abram's wife, Sarai is barren, which would seem to be a severe stumbling block to this promise. Finally, the Lord will bless Abram, but note not just Abram. So verse three says that those who bless Abram will be blessed and those who dishonor or curse Abram will be cursed. And through Abram, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Well, we'll circle back to that in a bit. But while we could profitably have a think about the incredible nature of these promises, with the sojourner being promised a land and the barren woman being promised children, it will benefit us to go even further back, all the way to creation, to see where these promises come from. It is in Genesis 2.15 that humanity is given a land to work and keep, the garden in Eden. And back in Genesis 1, they were also told to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And God blessed them. Well, with Abram, God has not changed his plan. Ever since Genesis 1, God has planned to have a people in a land experiencing his rule and blessing. But after everything that has happened post-Genesis 3, by the time we get to Genesis 12, we should be left asking the question, how will God put things right? And this is quite a conundrum because the solution cannot come from humanity. As God recognizes in Genesis 8, the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth and humanity's proposed solution of making a name for themselves has crashed and burned in the debacle of Babel. But here in Genesis 12, the Lord is showing everyone how he will carry out his plan for all creation through Abraham and his family. And this is what helps us to understand why Abram is so important to everyone who comes after him and so central to the Bible's storyline. For Abram is the one through whom the Lord's plans and purposes are fulfilled. And it's not overstating the case to say that the whole rest of the Bible unpacks how the Lord keeps these promises to Abram. So let's have a look at a couple of examples. The promise of a land is in part fulfilled when Israel conquers the land of Canaan after their exodus from Egypt and their wanderings in the wilderness. The conquest is described in the books of Joshua and Judges. And in Joshua 21, we read, thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers and they took possession of it and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. It's an incredible recognition of the faithfulness of God to his promise of a land. The promise of a people is in part fulfilled when Abraham finally has a son with Sarah, defying all normal expectations due to his and Sarah's age. Humanity's weakness does not infringe on the security of God's promises. Well, those promises pass to Isaac, who fathers Jacob, who is renamed by God to Israel, who becomes father of the nation of Israel through his 12 sons, who become the 12 tribes. And all of this justifies God having changed Abram's name to Abraham from exalted father to father of a multitude. But now let's have another look at that blessing because there's quite a lot going on. For starters, Abram is blessed to be a blessing in verse 2. And in verse 3, we see the full scope of that blessing. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is strange in a way, given that these are the promises to Abram, yet they seem to extend to the whole earth. But actually, this makes perfect sense, since we know that God's plans to be fulfilled through Abram are God's plans for all creation God's purposes since Genesis 1. It is for the sake of all sorts of people that God is blessing Abram, because through him, God's blessing to all people will be mediated. And this explains how we Gentiles end up benefiting from the promises to Abram. Now, we are expecting God's promises to include blessing. After all, who wouldn't want to be blessed? the cursing may surprise us a little more. So back in verse three, it says, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. Now the two lines are parallel to one another, but opposite, meaning these aren't two separate promises, but two sides of the same coin. Whether you are cursed or blessed depends on how you respond to Abraham. So this cursing is not arbitrarily dictated by Abraham if he doesn't like you. Rather, as we've already seen, the significance of Abram is that he is the one through whom the Lord will fulfill his purposes for all creation. Or, to put it another way, to stand with Abram is to stand with God. And to stand against Abram is to stand against God. And standing against God results ultimately in judgment. And this has been a common pattern already established in Genesis, that God responds to attempts to rebel against him with judgment. And so it's no surprise to see that pattern continue. We know that the penalty for sin is death. But the new element here is that how you relate to Abram reveals How you relate to God. Now, this helps us make sense of many events in the Bible, particularly in the book of Genesis, but we don't have to go far for an example. In the rest of our reading, uh, Abram is forced by a famine to head into Egypt, and to avoid being killed for her, he asks his wife to say that she's his sister. And this plan works brilliantly in the short term. And Pharaoh treats Abram well as a result. But there is an obvious problem with what's happening. God's purposes for Abram include him having many descendants of being their own nation. So, in taking Abram's wife, even unknowingly, Pharaoh is setting himself up against God's promise. Put simply, how can Abram become the father of a nation while his wife is kept in Pharaoh's house? And so the Lord afflicts Pharaoh with great plagues, a foretaste of the later great plagues that will come on Egypt due to their poor treatment of Abram's offspring. Pharaoh has cursed Abram, and so he is cursed. When Abram's scheme is discovered, Pharaoh sends him away with his wife. The promises to Abram now secure. Again, we see that how you relate to Abram reveals how you relate to God and his purposes. Now, this may seem rather arbitrary. Why does Abram get this blessing and no one else? What makes him worthy of it? But that would be to misunderstand. It's not that Abram is worthy of this promise, but that Abram has been given the promises by God. So everyone is required to get on board with what God is doing in the world which he declares he will accomplish through Abram. Well, as the Bible storyline develops like a rolling stone picking up moss, we find out more and more about how this promise will be finally fulfilled. In Genesis 17, God confirms his covenant with Abram and renames him to Abraham. But it's also anticipated that kings will come from Abraham's line. And when they appear, we learn that they will have a similar relationship to the nations that Abraham has to the world. So have a listen to these verses from the end of Psalm 2, discussing the promises that God has given to his king. It says this... Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Note the similarity in the promise given to this king from the line of Abraham. Although the wording is different, The idea is very familiar. We could say those who bless the son will be blessed and whoever dishonors him will be cursed. Now the son in view here is the king from the line of David who himself was of the line of Abraham. And so we're starting to get a feel for how this promise develops. How we relate to Abraham through the Davidic king reveals how we relate to God. Again, we can look for an example, this time in the life of David. Mishael, Saul's daughter and one of David's wives, despises David and his worship of the Lord. When the Ark of the Covenant enters Jerusalem, recorded in 2 Samuel 6. David is carrying out God's plan, and her response is scorn. But after her complaint and David's response the author of 2 Samuel immediately comments that Mishael was childless until the day of her death, expecting us to join the dots. And if you look at David's response, it is not that David cursed her. Rather, her response to God's anointed king worshipping God was rejection. And in cursing David, she was cursed by God. Well, you can probably see where we are headed. While there were many kings of Israel in the wake of David and distantly Abraham, none of them came even close to fulfilling God's plan for all creation. In fact, they fail so spectacularly that Israel is sent into exile in Babylon. The return from exile is not as wonderful as Israel had hoped and they find themselves under various other rulers, not being their own nation as they should be. And it's in this tumultuous time for Israel that Jesus appears, the final king in the line of David, and by extension, Abraham. In Matthew 10, when Jesus is discussing who you should fear, he summarizes, saying, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Again, the idea should sound very familiar to us. We could say whoever blesses Jesus will be blessed and whoever dishonors him will be cursed. How you relate to Jesus reveals how you relate to God well through Jesus life death and resurrection he fulfills God's plans for the world as well as being the divine son of God Jesus is also the human offspring of Abraham the Davidic king and he will have his land the new creation his people who respond rightly to him And those people he has and will bless in abundance, not least the forgiveness of our sin now and the eternal life to come in the new heavens and the new earth. And it's that blessing that Jesus has extended to all the families of the earth, which is how we receive this blessing today. Well, we began by asking why we should care about Abraham. Although the Bible seems to major on it, we can easily think that Abraham is so far removed from us that he is no longer relevant. But as we've thought about this evening, part of the significance of Abraham is his place in God's plan. It is through Abraham that God would keep his plan for the world, held since creation. God would have a people in a land experiencing his rule and blessing And we look forward to the final fulfillment of those promises in the new heavens and the new earth. But even now, the call to bless Abraham and be blessed, or curse Abraham and be cursed, is being worked out. To bless Abraham is to be in line with God's plan and purpose. And to curse Abraham is to be at odds with God himself. And before Jesus' birth, his mother, Mary recognized that the baby to be born to her would come in the fulfillment of this promise. Mary said, he, that is God, has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And this gives the call to respond rightly to Jesus' message, the weight it deserves because this promise is seen fulfilled as people respond to God's son, Jesus, the true offspring of Abraham. What response does God require? Turning from sin to God, trusting in the work of Jesus on the cross for our salvation. So with all that in mind, what do we lose if we forget about Abraham? Well, we lose something of the consistency of the Bible and we miss out on seeing God fulfill his promises from one end of the Bible to the other. But we also specifically lose something of the Bible's understanding of who Jesus is. Jesus does not arrive in a vacuum, but rather arrives as the culmination of God's plan for the world, fulfilling the promises given to Abraham. As I finish, um, I'll just pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the God of Abraham, and that in making promises to him, you declared your intention to fix the problem of sin. Thank you that through the offspring of Abraham, Jesus, you would bring the wonderful blessing of forgiveness to the nations that now it is possible to be saved. Please help us to remember your faithfulness as we eagerly await the return of your son. In his name we pray, amen.